I had a very strange childhood. Had the worst case any doctor had ever seen. My job is to keep healing. So that is the story. We all have remarkable stories within us. Stories of adversity, challenges, triumphs, and ultimately of healing. This is Your Health, Your Story, the podcast. There's so much conflicting diet advice out there that it's simply head spinning. But one area that we should all spend a little bit more on is our gut, as leaky gut impacts nearly one in two Americans and contributes to everything from dandruff and eczema to brain fog and depression. Our guest today is a registered nutritionist healing one leaky gut at a time with her nutritional protocols, cleanses, and fasts. This is the story of healing your gut with Dina Selena Danielson. Dina, so nice to have you on. So nice to be on. We've been following each other for a little while on Instagram, and I've seen what you're putting out there, which I'm a fan of, but some of it may be even seen as controversial, dare I may say, because something like Juice Fast today, where you have so many different diet fads and everything, gets a little bit demonized. But I know you are a massive advocate of it. So you can tell us why you feel Juice Fast are such an integral part of health. Well, I think everyone who says they, do, they don't agree with the juice fast has either not tried it or maybe done it wrong. Because I haven't had a single person who's gone through my program who hasn't had a good experience with it. And yes, there is a lot of like negative uh, talk about juice fasting and understand why. It's not well researched. Uh, it's claimed to be a fat quick loss, quick fat loss diet. And yeah, it's not great information about it, to be fair. But I got into juice fasting simply because I was working with a woman in the UK who was an advocate of juice fasting. So I learned a lot of her tips and tricks and the protocols that she uses through her. And I could see with her clients and on her retreats, like what a massive impact it had on people's health. Um, and I will start doing it myself. The first time I did it, horrible experience, just went straight into it. And it was not fun at all. But after like, you know, researching and reading and trying out new like ways of doing it, you know, having a pre-fast, how you actually do the juice fast and how you end the fast and how you kind of like break the fast is so many. There's so many important things they need to consider. And I've had incredible results with clients, whereas some has come off medication, some have healed, you know, Crohn's disease, uh, et cetera. So I think juice fasting is very, very beneficial for a lot of people. It's not for everyone, but I have seen great results with clients. Is there a way you could determine between one client or another, or even give a little bit of advice to anyone trying to jump in on a juice fast, who should and who should not do one? Yeah. If you're suffer from really bad health, um, that's probably not a good idea to jump into a juice fast. You kind of want to have some kind of baseline as in that you don't want to be of poor health, really. If you have maybe niggles here and there, maybe your digestion issues, you have some digestion issues, or you know, you don't maybe don't feel as well as you should, those people, it would be great to do a juice fast. For people with IBS, obviously this is like a broad area. Some it will work well with, some it won't work as well with. So it's kind of like, you know, seeking information, ask um, a practitioner about this that understands it and be like, you know what, I'll do a juice fast with you or you should not do one as I have clients where I'm like, I don't think juice fast would be a good option for you right now, but maybe down further down the line. Yeah, it's got to be incredibly personalized. And we've seen that a lot at the clinic when dealing with, like you said, very chronic patients. Sometimes you have to tell them to avoid certain things like even grapefruit juice 
because a lot of the mm-hmm. times that may stimulate some of the, the detox organs that we're already stimulating and it goes too far. And so then yeah. you have a what they call a Herx reaction in a sense, not really, yeah. but a detox reaction, which isn't fun. It isn't pleasant. That's where you get things like eczema, rashes, headache, and everything else. But to step away from the juice fasting and just talk about intermittent fasting now. What are your thoughts on intermittent fasting and women in general? Because women, of course, have to, whose hormones fluctuate. Does that impact? How do you feel about intermittent fasting with women? I think it depends on the women, uh, on the woman. So if a woman is, you know, under a lot of stress, um, emotional, physical, chemical stress, intermittent fasting might not be a good option because literally fasting is put on your body under a lot of stress. So I could alternatively, like, I think intermittent fasting is is a really good thing for both males and females. But as I said, it's depending on the individual. So if I had a woman that, you know, had a lot of stress, maybe instead, because what most people do with intermittent fasting is that they kind of skip breakfast or eat food later in the day, day and then, you know, but maybe swap that win- window and have breakfast in the morning when they wake up to kind of stabilize uh, hormones and stop eating early in the day. Uh, so doing it that way instead, I think would be a better, much better option to do. Yeah, it's funny. So many of my friends that are intermittent fasting are just skipping breakfast because they're too stressed and on the run, right? They just yeah. have a cup of coffee. They tell me they're intermittent fasting. Then I see what they're doing. They're loading big lunches and really big dinners at like yeah. 9 p.m., right? And then they fast till about 12 or so. So it's almost that 16, 8 break. But it's still incredibly unhealthy in a sense. Yeah. I mean, there's still lots of stress. The things they're eating within their time frame usually isn't the best. And it's a lot. And it's late in the day where it taxes you and actually disrupts sleep. So it, it's, exactly. it, it goes against what you should be thinking about when intermittent fasting, right? Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people eat too close to bedtime. There's nothing wrong with that. But as you said, it will dis- disrupt deep sleep. So that's not good either because, you know, during sleep is when we rejuvenate and, and all that. So yeah, maybe swap in that window, like eat your breakfast within an hour when you wake up and stop, maybe have your dinner at 5 p.m. or 4 p.m. even and have that space in the evening instead. But then again, for some people, that's difficult as well, because that's when a lot of people like to eat. Well, yeah. I think a lot of people usually that that work that nine to five and are stressed during that day, then leave with that stress and only calm down and then have that hunger pang later in the day and satisfy mm-hmm. it with usually something very heavy at night. And that again, yeah. goes straight into the night. How do you combat that? Because that's always, I think, one of the biggest struggles is understanding that you're working with a client that's probably in a stressful environment, is working a either nine to five or even longer hours sometimes, because we all sort of, you know, hustle these days and run the rat race of life. How do you get people to abide, but they also have to live their lives within those constraints of stressful jobs, long hours, everything else? First of all, I try to figure out what is like what is making them want to eat late. Is it is it an emotional factor? Is it comfort? Is it they actually they are hungry? If they are hungry, maybe we changed the, their meals a little bit. The the dinner or the the lunch or is more satisfying. If it's an emotional thing, we have to work around like what what is causing this emotional eating? Because I would say a lot of times it is down to emotional or that you're bored. You know, you maybe just lay on the sofa watching TV and you like to snack. And that's like, you know, a comfort thing. 
maybe try to influence the new hobbies um, and et cetera. It's kind of like working with a client to fight, figure out what is causing them to wanting to eat late at night or having the snacking issue. Yeah. So much of it really comes down to routine emotions, those sort of pieces yeah. that you go into almost autopilot and don't even realize you're doing yeah. these things later on. And that's just part of your routine. So you say, let's keep doing it. Yeah, exactly. Because I won't do my client any favor and be like, no, stop snacking. You're not allowed to snack. I have to figure out why they're doing that and help them kind of like change the habit or create a new habit instead. And when you work with clients and you're trying to change those habits, how do you changing their kind of their strict ways of eating poorly into something better? And, and what does that look like? So you have snacks that are usually heavily processed carbs, you know, grains, things like that. And you're trying to heal their gut, let's say. Are you moving them more into fibrous things, into vegetables, fruits? Are you moving them into the juices if that fits? How are you getting them to switch over from crappy food, let's say? I advise against snacking. Um, and this is because your gut has its own cleaning uh, process that kicks in two to three hours after food. It's called a migrating motor complex. So I explain to them, if you snack in between meals, that cleanup process won't happen. And what can that result in? It will result in more gut damage. It can cause a SIBO uh, and dysbiosis. So it will actually make things worse. So I kind of explain that to them. So if they have an understanding of what's going on, how, how your body functions, they'll be like, oh, okay, right, maybe I shouldn't snack then. But maybe they come to me, well, Dina, I'm really hungry two hours after my breakfast or my lunch. I'll be like, right, we have to change your breakfast or lunch. And we have to add more uh, foods that's, keeping you fuller for longer. So it's, it's working around that as well. Yeah, it's really important that you get the right foods at the right time. Are you an advocate of what I've heard other people like Dr. James Antonio and others about protein in the morning, trying to get more protein in the morning? Or is that something you, you don't abide by? No, I think a high protein breakfast is the way to go. Like you can process carbohydrates better in the morning as well. So I'm not against that, but I think having a high protein, some good fats is important in the morning. But some people will work better with a bit higher carbohydrates in the morning as well. Uh, but definitely high protein is what I want to recommend. Let's talk about gluten because that, that seems to be all the rage, gluten-free, everything else. I, I, I believe you have a bit of a different view on gluten or maybe wheat. Can you kind of share... What are your thoughts on on this, uh, you know, very demonized type of ingredient that's been with us forever? Well, I think most people have some sort of gut permeability or leaky gut. Gluten will be a problem mm -hmm. for everyone who has that. And so everyone has some degree of it, even us that's really healthy and nutritionists or health coaches. We will have some degree of it as well. So I'm not opposed to it. If you don't have any digestion issues, a little bit is fine. I think it also comes down to like, you have to enjoy your life. And if you really enjoy having some bread and butter before your dinner at restaurants, you know, that's fine. But if you have severe digestion issues, gluten is something that needs to be cut off completely until you get to the stage where you can enjoy uh, foods more freely. Do you feel it's gluten or is it glyphosate? Because I always have this argument and I, I say, you know, I understand that many people already are in a, you know, a, a state where their, their gut just is not healthy. And if you add yeah. gluten in, yes, that's going to screw with it. But 
do we not like see that glyphosate is also maybe part of this? Yeah, no, there is um, some evidence and some reports that it's glyphosate that is the issue. And I think it could be a combination of both. Right. Uh, and if, depending on where you get your, say, if you're, if you're talking about bread, depending on where you get your bread from, uh, if you go to an organic bakery, you're going to know that it shouldn't be any glyphosate on it. And if you still have indigestive issues then, or gluten is problematic, then you can kind of understand. But I think it's one of those things like, it could be both and it's probably a combination of both as well. I'm trying to recommend to clients, my friends, family and myself that try to go as organic as possible because those pesticides and herbicides have, will have problematic, give you problems for your, for your health and can cause serious issues. Even though you can't, like a lot of people think that they can't, it's not a big issue, but it actually is. It's a really good point because I, I know there's something called the Italian paradox that people in America or elsewhere that swear off gluten, feel fine, can't eat any pasta here, can't eat any breads, travel to Italy, have the pasta yeah. there and feel fine, right? And it's yeah. and suddenly is it is it the gluten or is it the quality of what you're eating and what it's sprayed with and what else is there? So you have exactly. to make that determination, understand. Some people, yes, they go to uh, Italy and they still can't eat it and still are disrupted, but- there is a large population that if you just focused on quality rather than what it is, but the quality of the bread, the quality yeah. of the pasta, that will improve. And then, of course, don't overeat, have smaller quality. Exactly. Yeah. I think the, the pasta portions um, outside of Italy is too big for, oh, yeah. for most people. You come from Norway, actually. Originally, you're from Norway. Yes. A beautiful yeah. Scandinavian country with a very different, I would say, diet and lifestyle than an American standardized yeah. diet and lifestyle. Do you attribute most of European, I would say in general, lifestyle and diet to somewhat improved health? Meaning I, I don't feel there's as much obesity in Norway. I don't feel there's as much diabetes and all these kind of westernized diseases. Sure, there are, they are there. When you grew up, were you eating healthy? To some extent, yeah, I would say I had a healthy diet growing up. Um, could probably better, but it was compared to the UK, for instance, what I see uh, kids eat here. Uh, it was very much healthier, but we have like mackerel for breakfast or lunch on a piece of bread. Uh, there will always be some kind of greens. Um, we're also very like we get educated with nutrition and health in schools as well. Um, like the basics, but I don't think that's happening in many countries. So that's also very beneficial. And like I remember from a young age that I was always focused on like eating healthy or have nutritious food in my diet. I always said, you know, the biggest part of probably why I got into what I do and saw things a little bit differently is my parents immigrated from Poland and we mm -hmm. ate differently. We ate on a European kind of style where it was more fish and fresh cooked quality smaller meals, things like that. Didn't have many much junk food. And I always said, I would like all the kids hated my house when they came over. My friends came over because they had nothing to eat. They'd be like, we're not eating this mackerel or the, the no, like where are the M&Ms, where are the like, you know, the cheese puffs and everything. I was like, you're not going to find that here. But it is such a big part of how then you grow up and what your state of health is. What are some of the best tips that you have for people that are struggling or looking to improve gut health in general? First of all, is to calm any triggers. Um, you don't want any symptoms, um, and that's through diet. I feel like there's so many people who will kind of like force themselves to eat, or well, not force, they will happily eat something that will cause issues after they had the meal just because it tastes nice or they enjoyed it. 
uh, or whatever. And I think that's that mentality you have to step away from because you're not doing yourself any good and you're just causing more damage. So that's the first thing. You have to make some sacrifices. Um, like you can't expect to heal in the same environment you got sick in. So, which is a classic saying. And it's true. Adding more protein to your diet, quality protein, uh, such, as, such as animal meat, uh, fish, animal fats, because protein is the building blocks of our cells and it will help to strengthen the gut lining. Uh, as well as fats will help to help the gut and for your hormones to work efficiently and etc. And also cut down on the alcohol. It's, uh, it's really bad. We all like a glass of wine here and there, but sadly, if you're like really serious about, help, about healing your gut, like alcohol should be put away for a little bit at least. And also one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is that you have to, if you have negative emotions or are going through trauma or have unresolved trauma, it's very important to work through that because you have no idea that how much it can impact your health. I've had clients who had, you know, had has unresolved trauma and soon and we, we could do anything with diet, nothing really worked, but as soon as they resolve the trauma, it's just become a new person. So that's also a really important thing because it is a stressor. You know, have to limit any stressor in your life. So that's a big thing as well that people don't realize. Yeah, I, I can second that because so many people do have that constant stress. So they're in a sympathetic state. When you're in mm-hmm. a sympathetic state, you don't digest as well. You don't have peristalsis. You have poor digestion and everything starts to go down. Then you have symptoms, bloating, everything else. You're yeah. wondering, is it what I'm eating? And sometimes it's not. You may be eating incredibly healthy and still have that because you're eating in a stressed state and you don't even pick up on it. And if you just got yourself, you know, dealt with the trauma, with the emotions that are always on and triggering you constantly, then you'd see that improvement. So I I always say it's it's not so much what you eat. Of course, that's important, but it's how and why you eat it too. Yeah, exactly. Peaceful state, slowly with enjoyment uh, in a parasympathetic state, you're going to have much better digestion. 100%. What do you feel about things like probiotics, fermented foods for gut health? Again, depending on the person. So um, there's evidence showing that eating probiotic foods, such as fermented foods, will benefit your gut flora and microbiome better than prebiotic foods. So you will get more diverse flora. But if you have SIBO, for instance, dysbiosis, that can cause gut issues such as bloating, cramping, etc. So for those people, it's not that good. But then again, you can use probiotics, uh, but it's knowing what kind of probiotics to take. Uh, it could be a spore probiotic, which is really good, or even a Saccharomyces boulardii to help to get rid of any of the unwanted bacteria. But it really depends on the person. And I think there's so many people now who just like run and buy probiotics and just take it for no reason. And it's like, you have to figure out why you're taking it and you know what kind of strains there are. Uh, is there enough strains? And also how to take it, when to take it. So there's a lot of things that can be quite quite complicated. But yeah, I think I'm I'm a fan of uh, both. But again, depending on the person. Yeah, it's always dependent on the person. And it's interesting how you speak to so many and you do get that, oh, I'm on probiotics. And they don't even recognize that they're actually living organisms. And if you don't change your diet, they're just going to die anyway, because you're not feeding them. You're basically starving them and feeding the terror, the bad you know, bacteria and microbiome that love the sugary stuff, the candida or all of that. 
So you do have to see it as every time you pop a probiotic pill, you're you're ingesting living things that then you need to actually feed and take care of. So it's not like you just put them in there and they, oh, it's all better and keep eating crappy and doing bad things and, and creating an environment where they can't even live. It's basically exactly. a wasted pill then if you don't change some of the actions around ingesting probiotics. Tell me about what kind of blood tests you're running with your clients to try and figure out what abnormalities may be there and how to help them improve. Yeah, so I've been working as a nutritionist now for six or seven years, I think. And when I started, it was all through questionnaires and you know consultations and trying to figure, figure out and pinpoint what's going on. Uh, and what they need help with. And it came to a point where I'm like, you know, I just want to stop the guesswork and I want to really see in black and white what's going on. And I realized the best, easiest way to do this is to do through a blood test. So I ask my clients now to go and do a, a blood work uh, and I can read from the, the blood test what's going on with their gut. Literally everything that's on the blood of different biomarkers can explain to me if they got gut permeability, if they got nutrient deficiencies, if they have dysbiosis, and I can give them a proper tailored uh, protocol, a supplement and nutrition protocol to help to deal with whatever is going on inside. So it's a standard blood test, really, with the full blood count, you know, lipids, total proteins, albumin, globulin, uh, etc. So. It's very interesting. So I do like a blood analysis uh, through that and I can uh, see what's going on. Are you looking at toxicity in that analysis as well? Well, you can see um, oxidative stress. You can see heavy metal uh, poisoning. There's a few other things you can see as well. It's not that easy to read, but you can pick up on it and you kind of confirm that through um, a questionnaire as well with symptoms. And if you're picking up on those things, like you're seeing toxicity, how are you adjusting the diet around people that are more toxic? Well, you have to promote um, detoxification pathways and give the body the right nutrients so the pathways will function properly because there's three different pathways in the detoxification or biotransformations as also called. And each pathway needs different nutrients um, and each pathway can also be blocked by, for instance, green tea. Like green tea is super healthy for other things, but it blocks pathway zero and three in the detoxification pathway. So it's like figuring out um, or giving the person the right diet and say, you need to eat more of this and not so much of this, um, drink this or take this supplement. And then it's also figuring out like, does their liver function properly? Because that's a major detoxification organ. And if they have liver dysfunction, we have to kind of change it completely and, you know, first kind of heal the liver and then go there. So it really depends on how toxic the person is. Like an overweight person is going to have more stored toxins than, an, than a lean person. An older person is also going to have more stored toxins than a younger person. And a person who has yo-yo diet for their whole life, they're going to have a lot of toxins stored. So it's, again, individual and they kind of like read that from... Uh, blood analysis and as well as symptoms questionnaire. Yeah, it's an art and science, isn't it? Really, when you when you deal with each person, I will say this: you know, when you're looking at medicine, and of course you understand this, everyone's a blank canvas. You know, you don't go yeah. in and start saying on a blank canvas, "This is your protocol, this is yours." You got to start to figure it out, start to paint it out, see what it actually looks exactly, like, yeah. and then adjust based off of that. So. 
That's why I, I really am not a fan of this one size fits all that you see out there where you have people saying you got to be vegan. No, you got to be carnivore. No, you got to do keto. It's like, I don't want to say you're all wrong because you're somewhat right. People will get better some, but a vast mm-hmm. majority won't because they aren't personalizing at all. And that may actually harm them. So this idea that you could just say Mediterranean diet and just everyone should be on it. It's just a fallacy. Like, how, how do you feel yeah. about all these people just pushing, you know, their way is the right way is when it comes to diet. Yeah, no, I think people who, you know, has like the best diet or, you know, uh, this is the diet that's best for everyone. I feel like it's more like a sales pitch than anything. Like the people who really cares about people's health or health coach, nutritionist, dietitians, they, they will research and read and change their opinion relates to this research. And they, they will work on a personal individual basis. Like I said, there's no way I could give out one diet that works for everyone. And even like in my juice fast, I, you can individualize it. It's not like, this is how you should do it. Follow it to the T. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, if you have, if you have this issue, maybe go like this way or take this supplement or eat this. Cause it's, it has to be individualized. We're all different. We all have different lifestyles. We all have different health issues. We all live in different areas. And there's, there's so many factors that contribute to one's health. Yeah. So well said. Now, knowing that we're all individualized and make mistakes individually, what are the patterns you see as far as diet of what people are commonly um, doing wrong? I think with weight loss is that people just think they need to be in a calorie deficit and they don't think about being in a nutrient-dense calorie deficit and they just go on and eat what's lowest in calories. And I think you know, I think a lot of people has contributed to this problem because if you go in a in a calorie deficit, yes, you will lose weight. But if you don't eat the right foods, your detox detoxification pathway is not going to work correctly. You're not going to feel good. Uh, you're going to set you up for disease risk in the future. So I think a lot of people associate low calorie with what is good for me, which is which is not the case at all. No, it's very true, and I I don't like those people that just say count calories and that's it. If the outcome is truly to just lose as much weight as possible and not care about your health, just do hard drugs, do crystal meth, yeah. right? Like, like honestly, let's be like, that would be the best way to just, you'll lose all your teeth. You'll look like crap, but you'll be super skinny. Yeah. You know? But that's the thing. Like you have to incorporate, well, is it healthy? Guzzling yeah. diet Cokes and, you know, all this fat-free crap is not healthy. You may mm-hmm. in the short term lose some weight because of it. I will contend that in the long term, you'll probably be heavier, overweight, and very sick because of it. But that's where people get it wrong. And it is the instant gratification of sort of, well, yeah, if you're only eating, you know, 500 calories, even if it's McDonald's. Yeah, probably exactly. But will you actually be healthy? And is that sustainable? You'd probably say no. No, not at all. Not at all. Like you're you're setting me up for failure in the future, literally. And it's, it's, it's not only like people, it's like the food companies as well. It's like, oh, low in fat, low in calories. Um, and it's, 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 it's just sad to be fair. And like, it's, it's not the people's fault because they're not educated on this and they just listen to what's been told or been shouted at them and they're, they're coming from every angle. So yeah, it's pretty sad to be fair. Um, but that's like one of the things I want to like try to kind of change with in the world or with the people who are following me is like, don't focus on the calories focus on the quality of the food. Like you need to eat nutrient-dense food because 
then you'll be healthy and you'll be happy and you will lose weight in, in, in the process as well. Yeah, there, there's so much of that marketing push going on and people are confused nowadays, I think, of what is healthy. Because yeah. if you watch TV, let's say, then you're going to think things are healthy that obviously are not. But if they listen to someone like you, they'll get better information as to what is actually healthy. So uh, unfortunately, a lot of people watch a lot of TV these days too. But, <laughs> yeah. but tell us more about your services. You have educational, of course. You've got a lot of offerings here to help people because they can understand now after listening to this, there is a lot of personalization. There is a lot of information that you need to take in yourself and make you know the best diet and the best actions for their health. Yeah, so I offer 12-week um, programs, uh, optimal health programs. Uh, I do them in a self-directed way or a one-to-one bespoke plans. They include a blood analysis, but one of them also doesn't include it if someone doesn't want to go that road. Um, I also have a few online plans. I have my Juice Fast uh, program that I've developed and have, have had great success with. And it's something I do twice a year myself. Um, and I also have a few other online plans uh, with Gut Health and with Optimal Health to kind of, you know, teach people about nutrition and health and kind of like really educate people on nutrition. Because I think that's uh, one thing that's lacking mostly when it comes to the, the area of health. Yeah. And where can they uh, go and learn more about this? Uh, sign up for the courses. Um, you can find me on dinaselina.com is my website and my Instagram is dinaselina.d. Awesome. Now, I also know I'm not going to let you go without talking about this. You're a DJ. I, I was hoping yes. to see you in Scotland when I was there, but we didn't plan that out time-wise. But how, how do you DJ? Listen, I love the, the like DJing club scene like when I was younger. How do you do it and still like maintain your circadian rhythms? Because you're probably DJing late into the night sometimes. Well, yeah, it's funny you said like there was, I've been DJing for six years now, I think. And I start a few years after I went and got into nutrition. But for many years, I kind of like balanced it really well. Uh, but I think the older I'm, like the last few years, I've been like more focused on feeling the best I ever can feel. And the late nights, is a problem. Um, so I stopped doing like 3 a.m. I wouldn't do them anymore. I'm just like, I'm not doing this. I'm not having fun. I don't want to wake up feeling groggy. And then I was doing to like 1 a.m. Um, and I kind of stopped doing them as well. So now I'm DJing in the daytime, which is perfect. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, so, so I kind of like managed to work around with it. Um, like I was probably still do a gig here and there, a light one, but wouldn't be every week because I just, yeah, don't, don't write it anymore. I'd rather be early in bed and wake up early and feel fresh. Understandable. And listen, yeah. music is a wonderful thing. I'm sure you get joy out of it when you DJ, yeah. when you play, like, and everything. I always said, if, if I didn't do what I did now, I'd either be a DJ or just a music producer because I love <laughs> music so much. But yes, I was thinking about that. Like, I don't know, like, I love the music, but can I be up till 3 a.m. and still wake up at 6 a.m. and keep that routine? It's tough. So I'm glad yeah. that you're changing around a little bit. Um, yeah. uh, Dina, thank no. you so much for all this. Um, uh, you know, looking forward to keeping in touch with you, seeing what else is out there. And for everyone listening, please do take, uh, you know, advantage of these courses and her education. Anything you want to leave the uh, audience with as we close out? Oh, um, probably say that don't get overwhelmed because mm. I feel like that's the thing that people get really overwhelmed. Take a step back, you know, breathe think uh you know do what's right for you 
there's a lot of things that could be said about health that uh, that's good for you, but it might not be the right thing for you. So it's, it's all about experimenting and trying out new things and kind of like find what sticks, but obviously stick to the fundamentals, what is important with a nutrient-dense diet, but not everyone has to meditate if they don't like to meditate or not everyone has to get up early in the morning and, get, and go to bed early. So it's one of those things like don't don't overwhelm yourself, do what's right for you. Very well said. It is about simplification. I think people yeah. make their lives harder than it needs to be. And exactly. they think of health as this really complex thing when in reality, it's the simple things. Just get outside, eat some good food, do it with love and gratitude. That's really it. Mm-hmm. Dina, thank you so Correct. much. Thank you so much, Casper. Well, there's no such thing as one size fits all. There are some basic steps we could all take to improve our nutrition, improve our gut health. Until next time, continue writing your own healing story.